0: The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Valerie. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Well, as we conclude our journey in the book of 1 Thessalonians, our Growing In series, I want to ask you a question. What comes to mind when you hear the word family? And maybe you have lots of fond memories. Maybe some of your best memories are associated around that word family. Or maybe some of your most hurtful, dark, difficult memories are associated with that word It's funny how family can bring out the best in us and the worst in us. Um, Recently, I've had a couple of big family occasions. Um, My dad's 85th birthday, a family wedding, and there was family here from all over the world. And There were several moments of us uh, reflecting on on family and recalling memories of childhood and um, just thinking about some of the more fun, memorable moments of our lives. And and yet, in the midst of all of that, I, I heard and discovered that there's family drama, there's tensions, there's uh, unresolved issues and, and broken relationships and a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, I guess our family is no different to yours. And, and family can be like that. Um, and if we're honest, we would all say that even the best of families have skeletons in their closets. And family... These people that are meant to love us the most and the people that we love the most uh, often are the ones who hurt us the most deeply. So as we come to this last section, Paul is really addressing this church about Family, and so I've entitled this message. It's not grammatically correct, but I hope you'll be gracious. Growing in family, um, or growing as family, uh, but growing in family kind of works. But that's that's really the focus that Paul has here about. How they're supposed to treat each other. How they're supposed to relate to each other and interact with each other. And how they're supposed to treat each other as God's family. That's really what he has in mind here. And this section is very different to what we've encountered so far in the letter. Because here, Paul just gives them command after command after command in this short, punchy, staccato, rapid fire kind of style approach. Now, just a hint, young people, older people, if anyone gives you the challenge of memorizing Bible verses, you want to go here. Right? There's heaps of really short ones. Jesus wept isn't the only two-word Bible passage. There's, there's plenty here. Rejoice always, there's one. Pray continually, there's another one. So you can memorize like three Bible verses in like six words, eight words, so just a tip. But it just shows the nature of Paul's kind of just punchy staccato style here. And so he covers a lot of ground in a very succinct short form. And so because of that, there's a lot of detail and information that we're not really sure about. We're not really aware of how specific the circumstances were that Paul is addressing with some of these commands. So there's a lot of uncertainty, but still there's enough here that will help us grow in this grace of being family together. And I think as a church, um, I I, I love for us to, to be more family even though it is messy and difficult and complicated at times. So four kind of big things that Paul addresses you. The first thing is about respecting and caring for workers respecting and caring for works. I've noticed he says, we ask you brothers and sisters to acknowledge or recognize or affirm those who work hard among you. Now, generally speaking, you know, most people, most commentators believe that he's addressing the leaders within the church, the people who have been given this responsibility to, to care for this, this community, to put into practice and I, I guess to instruct the church with the, the things that Paul has written in this letter, uh, people who are entrusted that responsibility of this. Discipling and mentoring and, and caring for the others in this church. But what's int- interesting and significant is Paul never uses the word leader. Notice the word he says, acknowledge those who work hard among you. And for me, this is such a powerful thing because it's not about a title. It's not about a position. It's about what people were doing in this community. It's about their role and their function. And there are people in our church who don't have the hat or the title or the role of a leader, but they're workers and they're functioning within the body of Christ this way. And so we need to acknowledge those people. That's the first thing that Paul says, acknowledge them. Recognize that there are those among you who work hard among you. And then the second instruction he gives them in verse 13 is hold them in the highest regard. Hold them in the highest regard or esteem them or respect them. Now again, throughout church history, people have taken this verse and other verses like this to want to elevate leaders and pastors into a different status or or a different position or kind kind of venerate them and kind of fawn over them and bow before them. Um, Stan sent me a video this week Uh, which was mind-blowing. And I just got a short clip for you. And this is uh, uh, from uh, somewhere in Africa where this pastor has taken Jesus' teaching on washing feet to a completely different place. Rather than him washing the feet of his people, he actually washes his feet over their head. This is what it looks like. (laughs) first he does his face can you believe this? and it just goes on and on and on and on thanks guys that is just an abuse of the bible and i mean paul goes on to say yes hold them in highest regard but there are so many clues in this passage where that is not what paul means for instance he says hold them in highest regard in love now the addition of that word makes sure that he's qualifying this hold them in highest regard and should be interpreted more as just care for them as brothers and sisters Not put them on a pedestal and bow before them. And another clue is that he says that they're to be recognized for their work. He says hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Not because of their position. Not because of their title. But because of their work. That's what they were supposed to recognize and affirm. And the other thing he says is in verse 12 that we began, began acknowledge those who work hard among you. They're part of you. They're part of the community. They're your brothers. They're your sisters. They're not a separate class of people. They're among you, as one of you. Now, so many pastors and leaders who abuse this idea and want to elevate themselves often aren't among the people. And sometimes they don't even do the work. They expect their minions to do the work for them. Which is all directly contradictory to what the Bible is teaching here. Uh, One Bible commented on Michael Martin. He said this, The respect of the church was due not on the basis of reputation or position, but on the basis of ministry performed. The minister who thinks his position alone should earn him the respect of the church has not read the scriptures. You can't get any clearer than that. And yet, throughout the world, in so many different contexts, pastors, leaders miss this. Yeah, the congregation is supposed to acknowledge and respect those who work hard among you. And he goes on to tell us, work hard, that that word that Paul uses there is a a word that means toil or labor and who are weary from doing good. It's not people who are, Isolated in ivory castles Expecting other people to do their work They they got their shoulders to the wheel That's the word that Paul uses What else do they do Well they are people who care for you Now that word can mean Who are over you Some of the older uh, English translations Like the King James I think has that Over you And so again people have Saying that Paul is talking about A position here or authority here But it, it's not In the context It's better understood As those who watch over you Rather than who are over You in authority, those who care for you, who have that responsibility of oversight, which is a task again. That's part of their role. The third thing that they do is that they warn you. They admonish you. And this is about challenging wayward behavior that doesn't line up with the Scriptures. It's bringing you back to the truth of God's Word, not threatening and intimidating and, and, and kind of, you know, warning you, don't cross me kind of thing. Don't, don't challenge my Word kind of thing. It's like, you know, it's a calling back to the truth of God's Word in the Scriptures. That's the word, admonishing. So this is the first thing that they're supposed to do as the family of God to care for those who work hard among you recognize them, look after them, encourage them, affirm them, and say thank you, show appreciation. Um, There's a a few facts that are uh, told about these cranes, these sandhill cranes that fly huge distances. And one of the things they do is that they fly in formation. And uh, scientists have kind of thought about what makes them so effective in flying such long distances. And they identified three qualities. One of the things is that they rotate the leadership. They get different people up the front who are kind of carrying the load. They always choose the birds that are the strongest who are able to handle the turbulence from the front. That's a great thing. And whenever there's one bird in the front, the rest of them honk all the way. (laughs) Encouraging, honking them and encouraging them. So I want to see a bit more honking in our church. When you recognize that people who are serving you, who are working hard, who have influence in your life, whether they have a position or not, affirm them encourage them and acknowledge them the second thing paul says now he turns to them and he says i want you to care for each other he says in verse 14 i urge you brothers and sisters warn those brothers and sisters is now to the community so not only are the community supposed to respect and care for their leaders and workers but now they are to do things for each other. And notice the first thing he says, warn those who are. Hardened. Now that word warn is the same word that Paul used about the workers whose job it is to admonish. So in the in the in these two verses Paul is bringing a corrective both to pastors who think that it's not their job to do the work of ministry and it's up to the church, the people to do the work of ministry and there are some pastors who think that and up the other end, to the churches who think that it's the pastor's job to do all the work of the ministry. And they just come and they just receive ministry and they're consumers of ministry. Paul is saying, no, the workers, the leaders, they have a responsibility to admonish and warn you. But brothers and sisters, you have that responsibility to each other as well. To admonish, to warn. And then he goes on to, to warn those who who are idle and disruptive. And most commentators believe that Paul is picking up something he mentioned in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 when he says, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, Paul spends a lot of time talking about these idle troublemakers. So clearly it seems like there was an issue among some of the people in the church that weren't working they were lazy they were idle they they were depending they were sponging off other people and they were causing trouble they were busybodies the, the word that's used there is someone who is out of line like a, in uh, like soldiers who are marching in formation but there's someone who's not in step with everybody else and Paul is saying warn that person They're idle and they're disruptive. So in our vernacular, Paul is saying, if you've got bludgers among you who are troublemakers, warn them. That's what he's getting at. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. The third instruction he gives them, sorry, second, warn, encourage. Encourage the disheartened. And here the word that Paul uses for disheartened relates to people who are so overcome by the circumstances of life, that they're ready to give up it's just become too difficult for them to follow Jesus. Now what's not clear is who these people are. Are they the people who've lost loved ones that we've just heard about? Who are grieving the the lost loved ones and their theology about the second coming is all wrong and so because of that they're really discouraged and there's a point there because twice in that section Paul says encourage one another with these words. So maybe that's who Paul has in mind. Or is it the people who have been experiencing so much persecution and hardship and oppression day in, day out because of their Christian faith that they're ready to give up, like the book of Hebrews says, where Christians were so overcome that they're just ready to quit. It's just too hard to follow Jesus. Or is it the people that he's thinking about in the first part of chapter 4, where he sets such a high moral standard of purity and holiness that these former pagans are going, well, I can't do it. I've been trying to honor God. I've been trying to live a holy life, but I just can't. And they're really discouraged and they're ready to give up. Regardless of who Paul has in mind, the bottom line is the same. There are those in our community for whatever reason who might feel disheartened, feeble-hearted, ready to give up, ready to quit. Just it's just too difficult. And Paul says as a community, we are to come around them and encourage them, to cheer them up, to stand with them, to support them, and to encourage them to keep going. The third thing, first, second, third, he says is help the weak. Help the weak. Again, there's debate as to, well, who are the weak? Are they the spiritually immature? Are they spiritually weak? Or are they physically weak? Were there some among them who were sick and needed care? Are they the financially weak or the socially weak? Were they the marginalized and the nobodies and the oppressed in their community? Who Paul have, again, in view here? Again, I don't think it really matters. Because the point that he's trying to make is, as a community, as a family, help those in your community that are struggling in any way, that are weak. And again, this is such a powerful thing about the uniqueness of Christian community because in many cultures, weakness is seen as something not to be wasted our time over. And even in our evolutionary theory, in our culture, it's the strong that survive. The weak should just be allowed to just kind of die away and kind of disappear. You know, we have metaphors where you shoot the wounded, right? In, in military language, you don't bother to carry along and, and, and invest into the weak. Whereas Paul is saying that one of the unique Christian virtues is to reflect Jesus whose heart was always for the weak, whose heart was always for the marginalized and the oppressed and the isolated. And he's saying as a community, you ought to help those who are weak. He says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. And the word that Paul uses for patient there is a different word to the one he uses when he's talking about circumstances. Here he uses a special word that means within the context of relationship. It means something like be long-suffering, be long-tempered. In other words, don't lose your cool quickly. And in family, that's a good piece of advice. Because there'll be plenty of times plenty of people that will irritate you that will make you want to lose your cool and Paul says no be patient with everyone who's the everyone well it at least refers to the people that he's just mentioned the weak the unruly the disheartened be patient with everyone be patient with them Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always, notice that, always strive to do what is good. In other words, pursue the good, not when it's convenient, not if you have the time, but this characteristic ought to so govern your behavior that you are pursuing good and not repaying evil for evil. And again, reflecting Matthew 5, where Jesus said, treat your enemies differently to how the pagans treat them. And in Romans 12, Paul says, leave vengeance in God's hands, but you don't take vengeance. The problem I think we have is that we actually think God will treat them like he treats us, mercifully and graciously, and we wonder whether we will ever get our due, our vengeance. But Paul says, as a Christian, the only option for us is not retaliation, but to pursue what is good. And again, notice he says, for each other. And for everyone else. Now in that instance, the everyone else is all of the outsiders. So put it in context. It's the people that have been persecuting them. Paul is saying to those people that have been wronging you and persecuting you, don't return wrong for wrong. But instead, strive, pursue to do what is good. So, respect and care for your leaders. Care for each other. And then in this last section, he's focusing on their public worship. And he says, honor God in your public worship. Honor God with these statements that he makes you. Because he says that these three things that he lists in rapid fire, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. These are all the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And as God's family, if he's our father, then the greatest way we can honor him is by obeying him and pleasing him and doing his will. And so Paul says, when you come together to worship, honor God in your worship and the way you do that and notice he says rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances and like I said he's writing to a church that's being intensely persecuted a church that's grieving the loss of loved ones a church that's wrestling with unruly people in their community and he's saying in the midst of all of the mess of life rejoice always pray continually give thanks in not for in all circumstances. How can Paul say that? How can Paul tell us, no matter what you're going through, rejoice always. And what the word he's using there doesn't mean feel joy or experience joy, but rather express joy. Express joy all the time. Pray continually. And that doesn't mean we walk around praying under our breath all day while we're at work and freaking everybody out, thinking that we're talking to ourselves. It's kind of like he's saying, leave the phone off the hook. Oh, sorry, that metaphor might not mean anything to some of you. (laughs) Back in the day, we used to have telephones where there was a hook where you put the phone back when you wanted to disconnect the line. And Paul is saying, keep the line open. doesn't mean talk for the whole time, but have this constant connection with your Father because you're totally dependent on Him. See, all of these instructions Paul gives because he's anchoring it in the character of God. He's saying it's because you're a family, because God is your Father, that regardless of your circumstances, you can still express joy because it's centered on who Jesus is. It's centered on what Christ has done for you. It's centered, as he goes on to say in verse 23, that this God himself, the God of peace, is working in your lives. So no matter what you're going through, you can express joy because his work continues in your life no matter what you're going through. And you can pray continually because that is your source of encouragement and hope and strength for your your daily needs needs and your struggles it is who you depend on on continually so pray and you can give thanks you can rejoice you can express gratitude because more are the things that God has blessed you with in Christ than the wants that you don't have rejoice in that give thanks for that that's how you honor God in worship the last thing he focuses on is honouring each other in worship. In verse 19 to 22, he talks about not quenching the Spirit. That's not putting out the Spirit's fire. And the way specifically not to do that, he goes on to say, is do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now again, our church, we're a Pentecostal church and we believe in the gifts of the Spirit and certainly in the gift of prophecy. Rohan shared with us this morning something he felt that the Holy Spirit put on his heart. But not every church has that open view of prophecy. Um, Again, what's significant is this is one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. He mentions prophecy. Timothy is one of the last letters that Paul wrote, and he mentions prophecy. Romans and Corinthians are kind of in the middle of Paul's life and ministry, and he mentions prophecy, which kind of gives us the impression that prophecy was a normal part of the New Testament church. It just happened in their gatherings, in their services. It was part of their life. And yet, in today's church, we see so little of it. Even though Paul says in 1 Corinthians, eagerly desire this. But some in this church had, had come to disrespect it and to, and to kind of speak against it and to treat it with contempt. And maybe it has something to do with something Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.2, 2, where he seems to suggest that part of their wrong theology about the second coming of Jesus has maybe come out of prophetic words that were given. And so some of the people in the church had come to think, oh man, these people are prophesying that Jesus is coming back and they're kind of telling us when and and none of that's happened. Maybe this whole prophecy thing is a whole lot of bunk. And treating it with disrespect and, and contempt and not appreciating the work of the Spirit in their midst. And Paul is saying that is to dishonor each other because it is the Spirit that gives gifts. And so he then gives them instructions on how to do this well as a family. And he says, don't despise it. Don't treat it with contempt, but test them. Test them. You see, New Testament prophecy is not with a capital P. It's not like the Old Testament prophets that stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. It's not an infallible word that you can't question or challenge. It's not a word that is inscripturated and and considered to be elevated to the level of the Bible. Not at all. Even though some people want to teach that prophets today are like that. Well, Paul makes it clear. He says, No, test it all discern in 1 corinthians he says weigh it up and the onus is on the community it's on the leaders it's on us to do this because he's saying brothers and sisters test them test them how well the bible gives us two main tests one is what they call the content test which is does the prophetic word line up with scripture if it doesn't then do what paul says reject every kind of evil because if it doesn't line up with the Bible then that would be evil that's the content test the second one is what they call the purpose test does it edify does it strengthen does it comfort does it build up because that's why God gave the gifts Corinthians clearly tells us that and again if it doesn't if it condemns if it brings you under judgment if it intimidates then that's not the purpose that God gave prophecy for And so Paul says, do the hard work, examine it, test those prophecies, but don't despise them. Don't quench the work of the Spirit among you because of the gifts of the Spirit. And then hold on to what is good, hold on to what lines up with Scripture, hold on to what edifies and builds up and comforts, and reject all the bits that don't. But honor each other through this. And as a church, I want to encourage us. We want to see more of this. Because Paul reminds us that this was the norm for the New Testament church. So come on church, we're a Pentecostal church. And on the, on the, in the, again in the one moment, Paul is bringing two correctives. He's bringing a corrective to the Pentecostals who don't discern enough, who don't test enough. We just kind of accept and if a prophet says something, we go, oh that is the word of the Lord. Well, Paul says, no, test, determine, See if it lines up and then hold on to what's good and and reject what's not. And a corrective to many evangelical churches who go, Oh, prophecy that we don't have any time for that. You know, that's kind of done. That we've had the scriptures now. We don't need the, the work of the Spirit in our midst. Paul is saying, no. The New Testament community ought to have these expressions as an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So church, pray for this. And if God is stirring in your heart a, a word of prophecy to bring to the church community during our worship times, come and see the meeting leader and submit it to them again so that we can be biblical about what we do. And they will say to you, yes, we believe that that is the right word for this morning. Go for it. We want that. We want the Spirit's activity among us. And then Paul wraps up and finishes it by reminding them of who they are. They're the people of God who God has brought together and God is working among. So he says, may God himself, the God of peace, the same God who will help them live in peace, verse 13. He's the one that is sanctifying you through and through. And he's the one that will keep your spirit, soul, and body blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Again, it's based on his character, the one who calls you, is faithful and he will do it he will do it you see church for us to be a family we need our father to help us we we need our faithful father to reveal his will to us to begin to change our hearts to sanctify us to by his spirit change us to the image of christ without him without his ongoing work in our lives we're doomed you take a whole bunch of people from all different countries of the world, bring them together and say, now be nice to each other. Good luck with that. But as we look around this community, we see that. And that's only by the grace of God. And it's only by the love of the Father. And it's only because of the ongoing work of the Spirit. And so I want to end this series by challenging us to be prayerful, to pray for our church community, to pray that God would continue His good work, to keep growing us and challenging us so that we would be family, so that we would be able to care for each other, so that we would be able to honor God in our worship, so that we would be able to honor each other in how we worship together, that a fallen and lost world would look at and go, that is truly remarkable. That is truly a miracle. That is truly supernatural. That is truly the work of Jesus because that is not humanly and naturally possible. That's how I want us to pray. That's what I want us as a church to be believing for. So will you bow your heads with me? Will you close your eyes and join me? Actually, why don't we stand together? Will you join me in praying for us as a church this way? Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Father God, we come before you as your children. Lord, from every nation, from every tongue and tribe, you have brought together and unified us around Jesus, our King. Lord, who endured much wrong on our behalf, who didn't retaliate, who didn't repay, who was silent because he was bearing your wrath and your judgment that was due to us. And he has united us because of our love for him. And Lord, we thank you for the wonder of the church. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the church. We thank you, Lord, for the great testimony and the witness of who the church can be as we submit to your will, to your good purpose, and to the work of your spirit in our hearts. And so, Lord, as one local community at Parramatta, We come before you as your children and as your people and ask you, Lord, to continue your good work. Lord, our confidence is not in our abilities, not in our leadership, but it's in your faithfulness, Father. That you who promised will do this. That you will continue to sanctify us through and through and make us blameless and holy and righteous. That we will stand firm in Jesus to the end. And Lord, that you will cause us to be a community that admonishes and warns each other, that lives in peace with one another. Lord, a community that deeply cares for each other. Lord, that is Lord, um, yeah, committed to, uh, to encouraging one another and, and helping one another, to holding on to each other because of Jesus and what he has done in our hearts. Be with us now as we have uh, community time around coffee and tea and food. Lord, that we might encourage someone Today, that we might glorify your name as your kids, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.